And so now it is my great joy and pleasure to invite my very dear friend, Debbie, who's going to be sharing the word with us this morning. Uh, we are continuing our Peace of Mind series, and uh, Debbie is going to be sharing us some thoughts. And I don't think there's anybody better equipped and has a bigger testimony uh, of this than Debbie. So welcome with us, Debbie. It's so lovely to have you with Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for your grace on Debbie. We pray that you anoint her by your spirit. We pray, I pray for open hearts for everybody sitting in the room and listening to us online, for open, receptive hearts to hear the word that you've shared with Debbie. We pray for your grace over her in Jesus' precious name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, thank you so much, Ben, and um, so lovely to be with you all today. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for valuing fellowship, and um, I trust that you're going to find this morning valuable as we talk about big things today. So I'm putting an alert up front, if that's okay, and the alert goes something like this. You know, sometimes when you go swimming, if you're like me, you just put that little toe in, and then you get like a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper, and you get up to here and you're kind of, you know, deciding. Whew. And then other times, somebody grabs you by the hand, and they pull you in, and you jump in, and you're in the deep end. So today, we are deep ending straight away. Is that okay? We're not going to tickle our little toes, first of all. We have been tickling our toes, and not, not that it has been tickling the toes, beautiful um, um, sermons up until now on our um, you know, Peace of Mind series. But today we've got a big, big topic. And it's a big topic because we are talking about the big emotions. We're talking about the big emotions that sometimes beset us. And um, I have entitled my sermon today, Surrounded, Surrounded, Managing the Big Emotions. And as we dive into the deep end, I want to ask you, if you have ever felt surrounded, maybe surrounded by fear, what about the fear of the unknown? that you just don't know what lies ahead, and fear has gripped your mind. Fear of the future, maybe fear for your children, maybe fear for your finances, or whatever it might be. I wonder if you have ever found yourself surrounded by sadness, by depression. Those of you who have struggled with depression or are currently struggling with depression, you will know what I mean, how you can sometimes experience such melancholic thoughts, just this deep sense of hopelessness. You know that it's not the truth, but you're stuck there and your mind feels plagued at the place of depression. I wonder if you have ever found yourself surrounded by thoughts of anger, and maybe you don't even acknowledge that you are an angry person, but you are prone to rage in the workplace, and you are prone to rage at home. And people have a feeling that when they're with you, that they need to walk on eggshells around you because you go to that place of anger so quickly. You're not proud of it, but you go there quickly. And you feel that it's something that you're trapped in and that you haven't been able to get victory over. Sometimes you threaten and you posture. I wonder 
if you have ever found yourself surrounded by guilt and shame. Maybe for something that you did yesterday, or maybe for something that you did so long ago, but those thoughts come and they hound you and they surround you, and you feel that you can't get rid of this thing. It comes back and it plagues your mind. I wonder if, like me, you have ever battled with anxious thoughts. I find I can become anxious very quickly. I'm a warrior. I like to think I'm a warrior, W-A as in battle, but I can be a warrior in the W-O-R-R-Y kind of worry. I find that I can worry very easily about everyday situations. I find I want to control the outcomes of things without always trusting the Lord completely for the outcomes. If I just do this, and if I just do this, and if I just work a bit harder, and if I just do this, you know, then, then, and I find my anxiety level rising. I wonder if you are somebody who finds yourself tense and nervous sometimes. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I have anxious thoughts, my mind can feel like a... Have you ever seen a hamster on a treadmill? You know, it goes, your mind, it goes, it goes, it goes like that. I don't know if anybody's honest here, if you can identify with me, but sometimes if I'm worrying about something, I go to bed at night, I worry about it. I wake up in the morning and um, I worry about it. (laughs) For some of you, you might find your anxiety, it goes straight to the place of your gut, and you'll know what I'm talking about, those of you who have that experience. And for others of you, you might find your anxiety, you feel it here, you feel it in your chest, you feel it somewhere. But nonetheless, you are plagued by anxiety. And the Lord has been doing such an amazing work in my life, just showing me the roots of my anxiety, and uh, I feel free, and it's been quite amazing. I wonder if you have ever been surrounded by grief. And I know you have, some of you, because I know your stories. If you have lost something, if you have lost someone that is so precious, maybe you have lost a family member to to death maybe, but maybe you've had a divorce or something like that in your home where there has come a split and there has been a loss of relationship. Maybe you have experienced the loss of a business and you are grieving the loss of that income stream that felt like it was guaranteed and is no longer guaranteed, a business or a job that you might have had. Or maybe you are experiencing the loss of an expectation. When you were 20 or 17, when you knew knew all the answers, maybe when you're 20 you're starting to not know the answers, but when you were 16, 17 and you knew all the answers, you thought life was going to go in this way. But now you're 40 or something, and you realize, no, actually my expectations have been shattered. And um, these are some of the emotions that we're going to be talking about today, some of the big emotions that we battle with. I want to say up front that if you identify with any of the emotions that I have um, spoken about now, please would you know that you're not alone. I have, and sometimes still do, experience some of these emotions. In this journey of my life, I have been surprised by two things about life. 
The one is I have been surprised by the sheer beauty of life, the joy, the goodness of people, just being surrounded by incredible people, just beautiful environment, beautiful things. I've been surprised by the goodness of God. But equally, I've been surprised by some of life's difficulties and some of life's complexities and some of life's sadnesses. And as I have experienced these feelings, one of my most treasured revelations has been this one. It has been, I am not alone in my struggles. When I have felt surrounded that there's no way of escape um, in my mind, when peace of mind, which is what we're talking about in the series, when peace of a mind has eluded me, um, the revelation that I haven't been alone you know, there are fantastic statesmen, politicians, who would testify to some of their challenges in the realm of their mind. There are other great Christian writers and authors, those who are willing to be honest and to be vulnerable, who are able to say, but I struggle with that too. In fact, some of my thoughts from today come from a British preacher who I've grown to love. His name is Simon Ponsonby, and he speaks about how he has felt surrounded on many occasions, and he has seen others who have felt surrounded. So we are not alone, but <laughs> if you want to know, if you want to really know that you're not alone, go to the book of Psalms. Do yourself a favor. Seldom do you see raw emotion like you do in the book of Psalms. The constant thread in Psalms is about a saw, the psalmist's feeling surrounded. Psalm 40 verse 12, troubles without number surround me. Psalm 22 speaks prophetically of what Jesus went through at the cross and it says, the bulls of Bathsham surrounded me. So dramatic. The bulls of Bathsham are powerful enemies. Powerful enemies have surrounded me. Psalm 18 um, or Psalm 17 verse 9, deadly enemies surround me. Psalm 18 verse 4, cords of death encompass me. Psalm 109 verse 3, surrounded by words of hatred. In fact, in Psalm 22, the one that speaks of the bulls of Basham, do you know that four times in two sentences, the psalmist uses that word surrounded or encompassed or encircled. I feel like I'm trapped is what he's actually saying. And an image that I have, which is also borrowed from Simon Ponsonby, but it has stayed in my head, is a picture. I don't know if any of you do extreme sports. For the record, that's not me. I don't do extreme sport. My extreme sport is like on the couch, I think, you know, something like that. But if you do extreme sports, have you ever been underwater caving? Underwater caving. For me, that would be my worst thing. Because you go down and, and, and you feel that you are surrounded by impenetrable, you not feel, you are surrounded sometimes by impenetrable rock on all sides. And um, you feel <laughs> that there is nowhere to go. <laughs> Even the divers, they go down, they go down, and then suddenly the water level begins to rise and they begin to feel hemmed in, I'm certain, where there's no light and probably no way of escape. But you know, at times in our minds and in our lives and in our life circumstances, we can feel like that, can't we? We can feel hemmed in. We can feel constricted. We can feel that there is no way of escape, that there's nowhere to turn, and there's not much light. 
And if you have ever battled with depression, you might even know that there's that feeling of suffocation that can overcome you sometimes, I'm sure, how they feel when they are underwater caving. And so it could be that you are a young mother who has been up all night with a child who you simply can't console and you have a toddler to cope with in the mornings and you feel absolutely hemmed in, you're overwhelmed, you don't know what to do about this. And then you feel so guilty, you add guilt to all those feelings because these children, they're a blessing, we know they are, but goodness, it doesn't feel like they're that right now. And so we add guilt to the, the hemmed in feeling that we experience. Maybe we've lost our source of income and we fear what lies ahead. Maybe we're angry and we're sad every time we see a father interacting so beautifully with his children because maybe we grew up in a home where there was no father or if there was a father that the father wasn't as kind or maybe absent or maybe a bit hostile and a bit distant. We feel those emotions. We can feel the sadness and loneliness that comes from not being married and the grief that comes from not having children and we thought our life would be different. Maybe you've been falsely accused in the workplace or on social media and you're so angry at the people who did this to you and you have this age and this, this anger. But whether you struggle with these universal emotions that different people struggle with on different occasions, I want to say by virtue of the fact that we live in South Africa, our automatic nervous systems are in a state of upregulation all the time. Our beautiful South Africa, that brings us so much joy. Can I say, it can bring us pain and difficulty, and it does as well. And so if you were to compare the state of our nervous systems with people who live and move and have their beings in different countries, um, not that they're any perfect countries, but you would find that as a, as a South African nation, we are currently tense. We are surrounded all the time by deficit conversations. You know, we're surrounded by conversations of Eskim. We're surrounded by conversations of not enough or corruption or this or that. And I know they're beautiful and beautiful good things in South Africa. But if you get around a bra or a family meal, can I tell you the conversation always or very often goes to a place of deficit. And um, in South Africa today, we experience such joy at the beauty of parts of South Africa. And yet in certain places, we see loss and decay. And there's a grieving in that when we see the loss and decay and probably an anxiety as well. The fuel prices are up and so we don't want to go out to too many places and we find ourselves becoming more insular. Just as an aside, I was chatting, Gerard, if you don't mind me, just Gerard, the head of our elders, if you don't mind, him and I were just having a friendly conversation the other day, and we were talking about this very thing, and he reminded me of something. He said to me, you know, Debbie, the devil's first course of action, his primary strategy in our lives is to lie to us. And once he's lied to us, he keeps us isolated. He keeps us in our echo chambers of our mind and the things that we would feed ourselves with. 
And I thought that's so true of the place where we are today, how we can allow our minds, we can allow thoughts that are not truth to come into our minds, and then because we isolate ourselves, they become such loud voices, they become, his word becomes the primary thing in our minds, rather than the word of God. And so, if we do feel surrounded on all sides by anxiety, fear, depression, or whatever it might be, now that I've painted this incredibly gloomy picture, and you're all ready to, what's she doing, you know? <laughs> but if you feel that, I just want to tell you that we have hope, that we have comfort, because the truth is, we are surrounded by him. All that which surrounds us, all that which surrounds our mind, is surrounded by him who loves us and who cares for us. And in each of these Psalms that I have read to you, there comes resolution. I've just read the drama part, the surrounded part, but there comes a resolution as the Psalmist begins to fix their eyes on the Lord. And I don't want to simplify this because matters of the mind are extremely complex, aren't they? And we can't do justice to them in one 35-minute sermon. But what I can do is I can share, um, maybe vulnerably and um, with a degree of difficulty, from some of the life lessons that my husband and I have journeyed. And I want to say that as we have journeyed some difficult things in our lives, when I stand back and think about it, there has always been a fork in the road moment. That as these complexities have come to us, there has been that fork in the road where you stand there and you go, you know what, I just wanna go this way. It would just be easier. But actually, I know that this is the better way to go. And so when we reach these fork in the road moments, we need to ask ourselves the questions of who and what am I going to surround myself with? When I feel surrounded, who and what am I going to surround myself with? And so many of you in this room have been a part of our story and many of you know our story, but just very briefly in a nutshell, we had our beautiful, it was five years ago now, our very beautiful, precious daughter, age 26, in the prime of her life, looking so wonderful and so happy, about to be married, simply crossing the road, she was in America, simply crossing the road, and um, was hit by a drunk driver and um, left there. Um, so it was a hit and run, and she was left there to die on the road alone. When that happened, it was a time of intense decision-making for us. And for us, our battle was grief. For you, your battle might be depression or anxiety or fear or whatever your big emotion is that you battle with. But when we found ourselves surrounded by things like grief, which is the one that I can speak mostly from, we need to make some choices if we would like to pursue full healing. And the first one is, 
am I going to surround myself with the presence of God or am I going to try and escape him? And this is a big thing because when things happen to you as have happened to us, it doesn't always match your theology. It doesn't always fit the way that you thought life was going to be. And it's so easy in times when you can't reconcile your theology just to go to a place of, um, you know, in my disappointment towards God, maybe in my anger towards him, maybe in my whatever it is, you know what, I'm going to turn my back on him. I'm going to shut him out. And I've seen many people do that. But you know, if you choose to come to him, and here's the invitation, that we would come to him. And if we choose to allow him in, and we open a space for him, my testimony is such that it's in his presence that we find comfort. It's in his presence that we find grace. It's in his presence that we find peace. It's in his presence that we find joy. It's in his presence that we find purpose, that our life has meaning again after things like this have happened. And it's in his presence that we find freedom. And as we're talking about the issues of the mind, our goal is that our minds would be free, that we would have peace of mind. And you know, it's for, it's for freedom that Christ has come to set us free. It's for freedom that he's come to set us free. We're not going to find freedom in any other places except in the presence of the Lord, true freedom. The temptation when we are struggling with big emotions is to go to the escapist things, which ultimately become addictions. Because in that moment when you're feeling so awful and your emotions are so raw, can I tell you how easy it is to go to whatever your thing is, to go to endless Netflix, to go to gaming, to go to drinking. But maybe because you're good Christian people, you don't go to drinking, but maybe you go to excessive work. That's what you go to. You throw yourself into something. <laughs> and we think it's going to help us. But you know what? It doesn't help us. It gives us a very temporary solution just for that one hour or that two hours or whatever it might be. But now you're adding complexities to whatever your emotions were before because now you're dealing with addictions on top of um, the, the thing that took you there in the first place. I'd like to very emphatically say that when we are struggling with big emotions, we do on occasion, require the help of a pastor. We do require the help of a life coach, maybe. Maybe require a counselor or a therapist or a psychologist. For me, I meet with a spiritual director and that helps me enormously. But always, always, even if we do all these things, and we must do these things, and even if we take medication because, because it's helpful depending on what your, your particular problem and your particular battle is, even if we do all those things, always we go to the presence of God. For me, I remember having that picture imprinted on my mind 
of Jesus on the cross and when he was surrounded by mockers and, I don't know, everybody accusers and everybody he was surrounded by, he hung on the cross and he, some of the words he spoke is he just said this, he said, I thirst. And when I didn't always have words for the Lord, when I didn't always know what to say and I felt like I couldn't pray up a storm like maybe I used to pray up a storm, then I would lie there on my couch. For some of you, it might be your nice chair or whatever, but I would lie there, I would surround myself with a blanket because it brought me comfort, and I would just go to the presence of the Lord, and I would think of Jesus going, I thirst, and I would just use one word, like, I'm devastated, or I am exhausted, or whatever it was. I would bring that emotion of that day, and I would simply lie there. I learned a new kind of prayer, but it was in the presence of the Lord that that happened. I wasn't just lying there and then, you know, watching my phone. It was an intentional coming to the presence of the Lord. And as I lay on my couch and still do lie on my couch, my neighbors are here, they'll testify. They see me lie on my couch often. As I lay on my couch, the testimony is that the grace, the kindness, the healing, the perspective that I received in his presence was irreplaceable. I couldn't have received that anywhere else. And so he does invite us into the disciplines as we struggle with our minds, even if we're not struggling with our minds, but he invites us into the disciplines of silence and solitude where it's just you and him. And it's a beautiful invitation. It's a winsome invitation. And it's not a casual invitation. When we go into silence and solitude with the Lord, we stop making demands on him, we stop telling him how he should fix the problem, we simply say, I thirst and I've come, I'm here. And it's there that we hear him in that still small voice that speaks to us, that might say, but Debbie, you're mine and I've called you by name. So you might bring your guilt and your shame to him and you might hear him say something like, but why are you condemning yourself when I don't condemn you? You might hear him tell you, put the whip down because I'm not whipping you. You might hear him in your grief, as I heard him, say, I'm near to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. If you're crushed in spirit, you know what that feels like. And then the Lord says, in his presence, he says, I'm near to you. And you begin to experience his nearness almost closer than you experience your own breath. You might bring your anxiety to him. And you hear him say, why are you so anxious about this? I'm in it. I was in that meeting before you ever walked into that meeting. I'm there. I'm in it. You might ask him, hear him ask you, do you trust me with outcomes? Or do you only trust when you feel like you're in control? Maybe when you come one-on-one -on -one into the presence of the Lord, you bring your anger to him. And in an unexplainable way, he replaces your anger 
with a love and with a compassion for that person that you were so angry at, and you can't explain how that thing happened, but there's been a transformation, there has been a miracle in your life. And so the first thing is, do we take ourselves into the presence of the Lord? The second thing, when we reach those fork in the road moments is, am I going to allow my Christian community in, or am I going to shut them out? It's a temptation to shut them out. On the day that we received the news of our Tatum's death, it was a Thursday afternoon, I was in a change room at Menlin. I was actually going to be leading the service on Sunday, and I thought to myself, oh, gee, I can't wear that old shirt again. So I went now to go and buy a shirt at Menlin. And while I was in this partial state of, you know, trying on clothes, I got this phone call. And I immediately phoned Neil Bester, who's on leave at the moment, and he's not here. My husband was in a boardroom in a meeting up at the school. And I phoned Neil, and I said, Neil, I'm going to need you. You need to come. You need to come and fetch me. And he spent that afternoon with us, and he spent the weeks with us that followed, and he continues to journey with us today. But in the early hours of that afternoon, he asked us this good question. He said, how do you want to journey this? Do you want people around you, or do you want to do it alone? And immediately, for my poor husband, I didn't give him a chance to speak, immediately I went, we need people. We cannot do this alone. We need the body of Christ around us. We're not going to make it if we have to do this thing on our own. And now, you know, neuropsychology and many secular writers would confirm that community is the most, one of the most important things when you are struggling with big emotions, that you don't keep yourself isolated, but that you come into community. And I would encourage you to bring your difficulties, to bring your challenges into this community. You know, when in times of emotional deregulation, maybe like me, you couldn't pray so well, and you're connecting with God, but it feels different, and you certainly can't hear him so well. Well, I couldn't because the emotions were speaking so loudly. You know, there's something about ritual. There's something about the fact that for 22 years, my husband and I have come and sat either in this row of church or that row of church, and there's something about the ritual on coming back to church, coming back to your safe place, when you are finding it difficult at home. I couldn't worship very well at home, but you know, I would sit there, and you probably judged me because I wasn't standing up, raising my hands, going, you know, like this. I would sit there, and I would put my hands open just like this, and I would surround myself with your worship. When I couldn't worship, it was your worship that sustained me. And so when we have our emotional struggles and our other struggles, it's the faith of the community that can mean so much. And I look around and, you know, I see my friend Elaine, and I know she's here, and I know the struggles that she's been through, but I see that she's here. I see my friends sitting there, and I know your struggles, but I know you're here, and it bolsters my faith, and it means so much to me that you are here. And you know, when you see people visibly worshiping and you know their story, it is so moving and it is so encouraging. It like 
it like helps you know, I can do this. I can do this. I'm not alone. There are people on this journey with me. I also learned, like the language of Hebrews, where it speaks about we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. We're not just surrounded by the people who are living today, but we're surrounded by the greats of our faith who came before. And let me tell you, did they have their struggles? Read some of their struggles. And, you know, read their emotional struggles, some of them. And Hebrews talks about them as the greater faith. They're the cloud of witnesses who surround us. So sometimes I think of people who've died a long time ago, like the Moseses and people like that too are in the Bible. And I think of people like my daughter who've died recently. And I think of others, and I, I don't know, in my mind, Maybe this is not theologically 100% correct, but I see them all in the great cloud of witnesses who they're cheering us on in our race as we run our race. And so we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. When you are struggling, I want to say to you, come to the community of faith. Pastor Louis, in his first sermon on peace of mind, He said this about Hatfield. He said, I want Hatfield to be a place, I think you might remember, he said, where we can sit around a table and we can talk about matters of anger, shame, depression, grief, where we can listen, where we can just listen to your story. And if you are looking for a starting place, it doesn't have to be the ultimate, they might well refer you, but if you are looking for a starting place, I would really like to um, invite you to our Hope Center Dave and Mel, and I think we there they are there, beautiful Dave and beautiful Mel, they help with counseling. And if you are needing help, if you would just email them at hope at Hatfield, and they will meet with you and then direct you as they, they feel to. And at the same time, they are offering the wholeness course, which deals with matters of the emotion, and you can um, get details of that as you walk outside afterwards. But don't shut out the communion of saints. My third point is, am I going to continue to walk in Christ's ways, or am I going to make an exception in these circumstances? You know, this thing that has happened to you or has happened to me, it's so bad, it's so bad that surely God doesn't expect me to end, do whatever in these circumstances. And so sometimes when we struggle with these things, We know what the Bible says, but we go, God, you're not expecting that of me. And then I go back to beautiful Eugene Peterson. I think many of you will know the lovely works of Eugene Peterson. And he wrote this incredible book that's entitled, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he just speaks about, we continue in the same direction, our long obedience. And so for me, the mantra in my mind over this time just became just do the next right thing. Just take the next right step. Just, just go to church today, even if you don't feel like it. You know, invite that person, even if you don't feel like it. Do that, because it will help you. But I briefly, when we're talking about doing the next right thing and the ways of Christ, I briefly want to speak about two things about the ways of Christ, that when we are struggling with big emotions, we often decide just to discard those and to say, well, it's fine for you, but it's not, I'm not going to do it in these circumstances. And the one is this very big matter of forgiveness. You know, I want you to hear me now. (laughs) Not everybody who struggles with mental health, not everybody who struggles with that 
is in unforgiveness. You're really not. I mean, you can struggle with mental health for all sorts of reasons. It might not be about unforgiveness. But I want to say this. If you have got unforgiveness, you are almost certain to never have peace of mind. Forgiveness is like the key or one of the keys that can unlock the peace of mind for us. And so sometimes people have done things that are so bad and they've done them to us and you go, can't, can't forgive that person for that. Doesn't deserve it. And the truth is he doesn't, or she doesn't. You know, if you've been robbed of your business and every time you go to the shop and you can't buy anything, you could be worried about paying your electricity, that thing comes up again. If you've been abused as a child or you've seen your own child abused, we live in South Africa, if you have been the victim of a violent crime and we hear the Lord call us to forgive, and for me, it was about a man who drank way too many drinks, got lost on the way home, couldn't even find his way home, killed my daughter, left her there for 40 minutes to die. How do you forgive? But you know, on that first day, we gathered our family and we said, we need to forgive. It wasn't because I wanted to forgive. It was because I knew that if we needed freedom and if my other children were going to have freedom, we needed to forgive. So first, when we forgave, it was completely selfish. And as the years have gone on, maybe, maybe somewhere there's some more benevolent feelings, I don't know. R.T. Kendall speaks about forgiveness as being like a tablet. You know, if you battle with thyroid, you will take an ultroxin or something every single day of your life. And when we battle with forgiveness, Mostly, it's not a once-off thing like I forgive. Mostly, it's when you go to that shop and you realize I have no income and you realize the hurt that has come from the person who did this to you. And for us, every time, I still do it. I go to my phone. I want to phone my daughter. I'm dying to tell her some family news or something. I can't do it. You forgive again. You forgive again every single time. And so if you haven't forgiven, may you take comfort from those who have. I want to speak very briefly about the other practice of, of forgiveness and hear about gratitude. And um, you will know <laughs> that, again, I don't want to make simple matters complex, and it's not all just about let me say thank you and everything's fine. But our scripture is an incredible body of work. How many times does the scripture say, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, and you don't feel like giving thanks, and the scripture says, give thanks. If you battle with depression, can I tell you the last thing you want to do is give thanks, but the scripture tells us to give thanks. I began a gratitude journal, and I began to write down all the things I was happy, I was grateful for. Lord, thank you. Thank you for that you died for me. Thank you for this hundred rand note in my pocket. Thank you for the card word that Ben spoke to me today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And it's towards this end that we have our gratitude wall up here. You'll know we've spoken about gratitude in this last while. There is something amazing about just the concrete element of gratitude where you just come and say, in spite of, I'm choosing to put my mark and to say that I'm, grat I'm grateful. So I don't know if I said the gratitude 
wall or the gratitude walk. That's our gratitude wall there. And we do have a gratitude walk on our, prom on our premises that you can do as well to help you in the area of gratitude. But the three fork in the road experiences are, am I going to surround myself with the presence of God or try and escape him? Am I going to allow my Christian community in or am I going to shut them out? And am I going to continue to walk in Christ's ways or to make an exception? A little while ago, Pam Ferreira wrote a book, and it was a community book. I don't know if Pam's here today, but the book was entitled Listening to God. And I got the um, unglorious honor, if it's an honor, of writing about listening to God in tragedy and about the choices that one had to make. And I want to read this just before I come um, we, I won't be much longer, but I would like to read something that I wrote in Pam's book. I would never have chosen this, talking about what had happened to us. But this choice wasn't in play. The choice that was in play was how do I now live? You see, tragedy and the other big emotions that we go through they strip us of control. They test us and expose us. But the little decisions that we make every day will push us in a direction. These big emotional things that we battle with, they will change us. But how will we allow them to change us? How was I going to position myself before the Lord in the community? It included family, friends, colleagues, our church and others. Would I withdraw? Would I resign my job? Would I not go to church anymore? Often, often, I felt like doing each of these things. But then I realized that routine and place are so important. Somebody called it the sanctity of the mundane. It's tempting to withdraw from community because it's hard and so costly sometimes just to show up. Getting out of bed and getting dressed is a victory, taking all the available energy for the day. But I know, and I know this even more now, I know that it's in the presence of God, family and community, that I will find healing, and so I show up. I sit in my same place at church, I go to work and I invite people into my home. Each time it's a choice, it would be so much easier to pull the duvet over my head. And then... Christ speaks about, or Paul speaks about, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Sometimes when we are so weak, we can't hear God, the only time we find glory is in one another. When I can't trust myself to hear him directly because my pain or my depression or my anger shouts so loudly, I have the voice of Christ in those around me. Rabbi Mendel said that human beings are God's language. I want to say they are. They're God's language. You have been God's language to us. God speaks through his people. He spoke to me through friends, through family, through lawyers, through those who had suffered before, and through the children in our school who knew that I was hurting, and they simply offered to come and sit with me during their break times. We expect God's voice to thunder, and maybe it does sometimes. But I heard him more clearly through the kindness and the gentleness of ordinary people like you, and nothing has changed. 
In those dark days, I saw the body of Christ, his people, at its best. When things fall apart, as they do for you, when sometimes emotionally it feels like things have fallen apart, when things fall apart, the broken pieces, they allow so many things to come in. God's presence is one of them, if you will allow it, and his people is another, if you will allow them. I'm going to conclude with the thought of feeling surrounded as we talk about feeling surrounded and look just very briefly at the truth of what the scripture says about surrounded. And I wonder if I could ask the worship team to come. Each of the Psalms that speaks about being surrounded, as I said, with this pits of despair, no way of escape, these psalmists, they knew how to articulate drama. But can I tell you, they also knew how to articulate the goodness of God. And these psalms resolve themselves when the psalmists change the perspectives from me and my circumstances to the God who surrounds even those circumstances. When I feel that I'm oppressed and I'm overwhelmed and the breath has been sucked out of me, then I know that the God of the universe surrounds me. When in difficult emotional times, we know that Christ and his mercy will see us through. And if you are struggling, I wonder if you can take that hope that Christ and his mercy will see you through. Jesus was surrounded on all sides that he could bring you freedom. He was surrounded by all the demons of hell that wanted to extinguish the light of the universe, but he took our pain and he took our punishment. And victoriously and gloriously he overcame so that we could set free. And so maybe you are surrounded by the big emotions, but please know that God hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't pushed you out. He's not unacquainted with it. Jesus was a man acquainted with all of our emotions. And he's not ignoring you. You might feel like he's ignoring you, but he's not. He's been there and he's going to bring you through. So if you feel surrounded, please know that you are surrounded by the love of God. Psalm 5 verse 12 you surround the righteous with your favors. Psalm 32 verse seven, you surround us with songs of deliverance. Psalm 32 verse 10, your steadfast love surrounds those who trust you. His steadfast is love, it surrounds us as we trust him. At all points, if I move to the left, I'm surrounded by his love. If I move to the right, I'm surrounded by his love. If I do, if I go, if I come, I'm surrounded by his love. I can't get away from his love. It surrounds me at every point. Psalm 34 verse seven, the angels of the Lord encamp around those who fear him. His angels, his greatest warriors, they encamp around us. Psalm 125 verse two, as the mountains surround Jerusalem, go to Jerusalem, it's impregnable with mountains. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the love of Christ surrounds us. And so when it looks like and when it feels like you're surrounded, could you know that that which is surrounding you is surrounded by Christ, is surrounded by the Trinity, is surrounded by the goodness of God? 
And so the Lord, he hems us in, doesn't he? He hems us in behind. He hems us in, in front of us, on the side of us. He's got his hand on our head. And I want to conclude by saying, when you feel surrounded, remember in your mind when you feel surrounded by these big emotions, remember the truth that you are surrounded by the love of Christ. And so I would like, at this time, the picture that comes to mind is of a pin drop. You know, um, you can send somebody a pin drop of your location, where you are. And sometimes the Lord just pin drops onto us that there might just be one thing that he pin dropped onto you today. And if there's something that you feel the Lord has touched on, you are so, so welcome to come. Maybe I'm going to do something slightly different. If you feel that the Lord pin dropped on you, that you need to come into the presence of the Lord, that you need to include Him in your struggle, and maybe you don't want anybody interfering with that, you just want you and the Lord, why don't you come to the side? We've got nice comfy carpets here. You can sit, you can do whatever you want to do, and just say, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm bringing you my struggle. I'm bringing you my anxiety, my fear, my depression, my despair, whatever it might be. And you come and you sit here. But if you feel that you've had a pin drop and you go, I need somebody to pray with me. I just need some, to tell somebody something. I need them to pray with me. I wonder if right now, if I could ask the prayer team, if I could ask the leaders and the elders and the um, pastors to come. They'll be here waiting for you. And I wonder if you could just come and just share with them your struggle and let them pray with you and comfort you and counsel you. If you're none of those and you would like to go, <laughs> you are so welcome to do that. You're welcome to sit in your seat and linger. And if you would like to, um, to um, join our Connect Lounge, Ben, is our Connect Lounge open today? You're welcome to come. If you're new here and you just want to make contact with somebody, you're welcome to do that. But as our worship leaders sing over us, please could I encourage you to come. What you're coming to is you're coming to the presence of the Lord. You're coming to bring your struggle to Him. You're coming to say, I'm not closing you out of my struggle. And so you are so welcome. This is a safe place where each of your struggles are important. Thank you.